So let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are so grateful for your many blessings. And as we see your hand of provision in our lives, as we see your hand of provision in the ministry of Hannaford, and as we see your hand of provision in the camp, Mizpah, I pray that you would uh, use that camp mightily for your kingdom here in the state of Montana. Lord, as we meet with this foundation, I pray that we would represent well what we do, our goals and desires of Mizpah, and Lord, that you would work in that situation, that uh, we would glorify you in that ministry, and we'll give you the praise for that. And this morning, as we look at your word, may nothing distract us. Lord, may nothing I say distract from the power and principles of your word. And may we be challenged in our relationship with you because of what your word has to teach us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finished our series on the book of Philippians, and we're heading into a new series, I Just Saw Jesus. And the stories of some different people found in the Gospel of John and their interaction with Jesus and how Jesus changed their lives, just like Jesus can change our lives. We're going to begin this morning with the story of the Samaritan woman. It's found in John chapter 4. And as a background of the story in the first six verses, we see that Jesus is on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee. Let's read beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read John chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and uh, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus and his disciples left Judea to go to Galilee. Judea is in southern Israel. Galilee is in northern Israel. And we have a map here that... Uh, can show that and as we see that we see he was down here here's Jerusalem and up here is Galilee and in between is Samaria now the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along in fact they were in many ways arch enemies if you can put the map back up we can see what's, what's going to happen here is, is the Jews, if they would want to go from southern to northern or from northern to southern, they would oftentimes, if at all possible, go around Samaria. So a lot of times they would come over here and even on to the, to the other side of the Jordan River, an area called Perea. Now for us, it would be sort of like going to Minnesota, but we don't want to touch North Dakota. So we either got to go up through... Uh, Canada, of course we can't do that now, but pretend we could go up through Canada or go down through South Dakota, maybe even down into Nebraska to make sure we don't get any North Dakota soil on our, on our feet. And for us it might not be that bad because, you know, we have cars. But for them it was a big thing. 
because for most of them it was a long walk. But it shows the angst between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, it happened back in it was 727 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and attacked the northern tribes of Israel and, and uh, over and conquered them. And so what the Assyrians did is they, they took some of those Jews from northern Israel and they moved them to other areas and they brought people from other areas to come and to live in that area. We call it Samaria. And they did it, they wanted to uh, discourage nationalism among their conquered people, so they wouldn't decide they'd rise up. But those people that came in would bring in their false religions, and they began to intermarry with the Jews, and so they were considered half-breeds. And, and they brought in these false religions, and so for a long period of time, the, the Jews considered the Samaritans impure in their genealogy because they weren't pure Jews but also in their religion and and so the Samaritans responded and they actually as we will be seeing here they, they actually built their own temple on Mount Gerizim and and they were separated from the Jews and they had their own place of worship, their own style. And they felt put out because of the Jews' thoughts of their being unworthy. In fact, some of the religious leaders of the Jews would actually pray that there would be no Samaritans raised at the resurrection because they didn't want to share with those Samaritans. And so when we read the stories, and there's several stories throughout the Gospels that talk about the Samaritans, like the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Jews wouldn't help the man in need, but that Good Samaritan did. Or the, the ten that Jesus healed and only one came back to thank him and he was a Samaritan and that just sort of stuck in the craw of the Jews and so the Jews would go and especially the religious leaders of the Jews would make sure they didn't get any Samaritan dust on their sandals and they would go around and avoid. And so when Jesus said there in verse 4, the scripture says in, in verse 4 that, that they went through Samaria because they needed to go there. That probably caught the disciples off guard. We must be in a real hurry that we've got to go through Samaria to get up to Galilee. What's going on? But here's what's going on. Jesus had a divine appointment to meet this lady and the people of her community. You know, God is constantly at work. <clears throat> and we'll see in the story, and we focus on the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. 
We, we focus on Jesus and the disciples and trying to teach them and help them to recognize the, the importance of sharing the gospel. And, and Jesus, with the community there, as many of them from this town, Sychar, came to know Jesus Christ. But through it all, we see that God's hand, God's sovereignty, God's providence... And Jesus, obviously God's Son, God Himself in, in human form, but a reminder to us of the importance of following God's will in our lives. Just like Jesus the Son followed the direction of God the Father. So here they are. They're starting to go through Samaria. They come to this town, Sychar, and, and it's about noon and it's evidently hot. We can relate to that, can't we? And so they come to this well outside of town. <clears throat> and Jesus sends the disciples into town to get some food. And Jesus sits down by the well. And we'll see here in this next portion that this Samaritan woman comes to get some water. And we find in verses 7 through 26 the story of a convicted heart. And the story begins at Jesus asking her for a drink. And she was shocked that a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for a drink. Men didn't talk to women in public. And the Jews would not spend time with Samaritans. In fact, she was probably surprised this group of Jews was in their area. But as the conversation unfolded, Jesus brought the focus upon her need. A need that every single person who has ever lived has. The need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he offered her living water salvation that he and only he could provide and in verse 10 Jesus introduced two principles that she needed to understand in order to have salvation verse 10 says this as Jesus is speaking he said Jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who it is the free gift of God and who it is that says to you give me drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water Two things she needed to recognize. She needed to recognize that a relationship with God was a free gift. It was nothing that you earned or deserved. And she needed to recognize who Jesus was. And if she could recognize those two things, she would be asking about the hope that Jesus and Jesus alone could give. Salvation was a free gift. It emphasized that it was not earned or deserved and that Jesus was the Messiah. So, but this lady sought hope and contentment in all the wrong places. Follow along in verses 15 through 18. It says, <coughs> excuse me, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here 
to draw. Let's stop there for a second. So she's, you know, Jesus says, can I have some water? And she says, what are you asking me water for? And he said, well, actually, I've got this living water. If you drink this, you'll never need to thirst again. And her response is, great. I don't have to make this trek out to this well to get this water. If I just have water that will last for eternity, this is a great idea. I'll take some. So she's like, hey, I won't thirst. I won't come here to draw. But then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call on your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. So what's happening? This lady says, yeah, I'll take the water. And Jesus, obviously being God, knew her story. And so he brought her to a place to where she could recognize her need. And so he said it by simply asking a question. Bring your husband. I'd love to talk to the two of you. But we see even in in convicting her of her sin, we see God's grace. Because he even compliments her on telling the truth, even though she didn't tell the whole story, that she had five husbands. She says, well, I don't have a husband. She says, good. In fact, and then he opens up her life in front of her. You have had five husbands and you're living with a guy right now who's not your husband number six and what does he do he helps her to recognize that she was looking for hope and contentment through things that could never provide hope and contentment only God can provide that hope that contentment that she so desperately needed. You know, it's interesting that she came at noontime. And there's two parts to that. Uh, She came alone at noon. Why? Well, I think we can be pretty confident there was a, a reason why She was an outcast of the outcasts. I mean, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered half-outcasts. In fact, in John chapter 8, the religious leaders were trying to to disparage Jesus and and make bad comments about him. And they they said, "You're, you're a Samaritan. You know, like, you're scum. But she was the scum of the scum. She wasn't even accepted by those people that weren't accepted. And so she came by herself in the middle of the day because it would be really hard to spend time around those people that didn't think much of her. And also, if you look at the geography there of the town of Sychar, as, as, we, as we believe it was laid out, there was probably a closer well or two, but she went to a further one. 
Why? Just to make sure she didn't accidentally run into somebody that despised her and looked down upon her. And so for her to have this man, he was a man, this Jewish man, pay attention to her was not normal. But Jesus helps her recognize that in anything other than God, there is no hope, no chance for contentment. So Jesus said, yes, you've had five husbands. The guy that you're living with now isn't your husband. So what happened? She wanted to, take, to avoid taking an honest look at her life and her needs. Verses 19 through 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now we can't say this for sure, but, but we can be pretty confident that she was attempting to change the subject. Sort of the idea of, okay, enough about me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not really good with the uh, relationship thing here. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about this argument between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews believe you need to worship in Jerusalem and Jerusalem alone. And, and us Samaritans have a, the place on Mount Gerizim where we worship. Where do, you, where do you come on that debate? Have you ever tried to talk to someone and they're, they're busy trying to debate things about the Bible. Now, we need to know what we believe, why we believe it. But oftentimes those debates are given just simply to try to get off of their real need. Now this woman recognized this is no ordinary man. And I'm sure there was some of her saying, you know, he's pretty smart. I'm curious what he'll say about this debate. But I also think she did what we oftentimes do is instead of dealing with our sin, we try to change the subject. And so she has that. And then Jesus goes on and he says something very interesting. He says, you know, the day is coming where it won't be about where you meet. We worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about where you are. It's about who you're worshiping and, and that relationship with him. Not a place. And the Jews had a really hard time with that because the center of their life was in the temple and they spent, and then God had them build the temple. I'm not saying building the temple for them was wrong, but, but it became a religion based upon ritual in a place rather than a relationship with God. And so Jesus goes on to say, you'll worship him in spirit and in truth. 
then we see that her life changed when she recognized Jesus. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now she knew the Messiah was coming. The Samaritans believed that there was going to be a Messiah who was coming. But just like many of the Jews, they believed it was going to be some political figure that was going to take them out from bondage and, and to free them. But she's grasping who Jesus was. You know, at first, when, when Jesus came, okay, this is a man, and then this is a Jewish man, and then in verse 16, surely you are a prophet, because he was able to share about her life. And now she's wondering, is he the Messiah? And Jesus responds, and he says, I am he. And actually, in the Greek, it's I am. That's a big thing. Remember in the Old Testament with Moses? When, when <clears throat> Moses was like, you know, God said, Moses, I want you to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses was like, you know, they're never going to believe me when I say, hey, guys, God told me to lead you out of Egypt. Let's go. And what was God's response? Moses, tell them I am has sent you. And we remember the phrase, before Abraham was, I am. And so here, for the first time, Jesus in his earthly ministry makes this claim. I am. Now you wonder, why didn't he make it in chapter 3 when he was talking to a guy named Nicodemus, a religious leader, a Jew that people looked up to? I mean, he was one of the elites. Why didn't he make it in, in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2 as, as Jesus called the disciples? Instead, he waits till John chapter 4. when he's talking to an immoral Samaritan woman. By the way, if you play baseball, that's three strikes. But yet, he did it. And what an encouragement to us to recognize that wherever we are, whatever we've done, God's love is evident and God seeks to have relationship with us. This lady that was desperate and she was just outcast of, an out, of the outcasts. But God loved her and God sought relationship with her just like God seeks relationship with us religious Jew Samaritan woman 
God sought relationship with Nicodemus too. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, God desires relationship with us. And so here we see she recognized Jesus. He was the Messiah that they were seeking. So she went from an outcast of the outcast to a loved child of God who was sought out by Jesus. But then the disciples come back, and, and it's sort of like a little <clears throat> parenthetical thought in the middle of this story of the Samaritan woman in the city in Samaria. So the disciples are coming back, and as they come back, and it says, just as he was speaking this, they came. And if you're a skeptic, you may say, well, they probably missed out on those words. I don't think they did. I think they heard Jesus say, I am. And what did they do? They were a clueless group. They were thinking, why is he talking to this Samaritan woman? Now, they had no idea of her immoral background, but they knew that she was a Samaritan woman. But they were more concerned about who Jesus was talking to than what he was saying. Look at verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. And no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? They were too afraid to ask him, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you crazy? See, Jewish men, they wouldn't even talk to their wife in public. Much less someone they didn't know, much less a Samaritan. And the rabbis were even a step further in that. They were like, no rabbi talks to a woman in public. Jesus, what are you doing? And they were completely oblivious to what he was saying, what he was claiming. He was claiming that he was God. He was claiming that he was the Messiah. And they were too busy saying, what are you talking to her for? They were clueless. Now also we see in, in verses 31 and through 34 that they were more concerned about lunch than they were about changed lives. So, so Jesus, is, she leaves, and, and it's funny because she leaves her water pot and goes back to town to tell everybody else about this incredible interaction she had with Jesus. And so she takes off and the disciples were like, okay Jesus, we brought lunch, let's eat. Look at what it says in verses 31 through 34. It says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. They missed that he was showing his amazing love to a needy sinner. They were just concerned that he had missed lunch. And then he tells this just interesting story which seems to come out of the blue. 
He says, see, you think it's four months to the harvest. It's probably December, and the harvest was going to come in the, <clears throat> the spring harvest was going to come in March. But the fields are white unto harvest. Now, the Samaritan woman had, had gone back into town to tell everybody. And maybe then, or at least pretty soon, there were going to be all of these people streaming out to see Jesus. And can you imagine what's happening as the disciples are sitting there listening to Jesus say that, and then they begin to see the people coming who were seeking a Savior. Jesus was telling them, listen, what's our priority? What's our focus? And they had two big struggles. One was they were busy worried about things that weren't that important in comparison to eternal things. And number two, although they didn't make the prayer of, that, of those religious leaders who prayed that there would be no Samaritans that would have a relationship with God that would be part of the resurrection, they still struggled whether these Samaritans, these half-breeds, these impure ones were worthy of God's salvation. And you know, we wouldn't say it that way. But it's easy to think, wow, those sinners are acting like sinners. They don't deserve God. But we need to be like the Samaritan woman and take an honest look at ourselves and recognize God's grace. If you're here and you've never had a time where you've come to a relationship with Jesus Christ where you've asked that your sins are forgiven, you say, well, I don't deserve it. Correct. None of us do. But God's grace. But as a follower of Christ, now we're not approving of the sin, and we all still sin. But we need to look at the people around us with the eyes of Jesus, not the eyes of the disciples in this story. And let's finish the story. So Jesus tells the disciples, listen, uh, fields are harvest. And then we see a changed town. And it's interesting, we find that they were changed by her story. Verse 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. She had a reputation. They knew about it. I'm sure many of the women of the town didn't want her hanging around their husbands. She had a bad reputation and she deserved it. 
The men were like, yeah, we know about her. But she came back different. Why? Because she had met Jesus Christ. And it was so much of a difference that they said, we want what she has. Earlier that day, we want nothing to do with her. Now, we want what she has. You know, it, it's hard to share Christ with people around us. And we're like, well, what happens if they ask me a question that I can't answer? In the story. What happens if they ask me, should we, meet, should we worship at Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? I doubt they're going to ask you that question. But uh, <clears throat> that was a little different cultural setting. But what happens if they ask questions? You know, the greatest demonstration of salvation is a changed life. Let me let you know what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm an imperfect sinner, but God's working in my life. And let me tell you about it. And so people were coming to Christ just because she went to them and said, you've got to come and see this man who told me everything I've ever done. But the second thing is they were changed by God's word. In verses 41 and 42 it says, And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now it says that some, even just with her testimony, did. But she had brought them to Jesus, and they heard Jesus, and they were challenged and changed by the word of God and they came to know him, to have a relationship with him. The power of God's word. It reminds us that we need to have God's power of his word active in our own lives. But also we need to share the power of God's word in the lives of those around us. God's word changes lives. You know, the Samaritans in this story, the woman and then the people of the town, recognized what the disciples did not. And they also recognized what the Jews of that day and many people in our world today can't recognize. Who Jesus was and is and that he is our only hope. So in this story, we need to be like a Samaritan, not the disciple. Now the cool story is you read those first chapters of the book of Acts, <laughs> the disciples got it. And God used them to change the world. We need to get it also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for this story, this interaction between this Samaritan woman and your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, us to recognize that our hope is only in you. But Lord, even if we're a follower of you, to recognize that we have no contentment apart from you. Lord, help us to recognize that we have a message that needs to be shared, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And Lord, may we recognize your work in our lives, and may we glorify you in it. We pray this in Jesus' name.